Well, happy August. It's good to be with you. Um, We are in a really fun series right now called Like a Child, where we are intentionally elevating, studying, and learning from children. And we're doing this because Jesus elevated them. He made some pretty bold statements about children and invited us to imitate them, to become like children. We live in a world where adults try to be sophisticated and eloquent, where power, intelligence, and efficiency are high values. And yet, Jesus said things like, unless you change and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Or anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never receive it. And the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, kiddos. Kids are not sophisticated or eloquent, not powerful, intelligent, or efficient. They're simple and free. Now, the kingdom of God was a topic that Jesus taught about more than any other thing. And it referred to the movement of God, the rule and reign of God in our world. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of our King Jesus and his movement was different than what was expected. It was backwards, upside down. It was confusing for folks to try to wrap their minds around what it looked like. We see this really clearly in Matthew 18 with some of Jesus' followers who just didn't get it. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Bless their hearts. What they're asking, what they're doing, is measuring themselves. They want power. They want glory. They want ranking in this kingdom. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. (laughs) Wolf. I bet that's not what they were looking for when they asked that question. Jesus clearly elevates kids, values them, tells us to pay attention to them, to let them be our teachers. So that's what we're doing with this series. It's important to mention here that scripture tells us to be childlike without being childish. Childlike, not childish, those are different. We're called to be mature in our faith and in our behavior while becoming like children. And to have the wisdom to know how to hold the two, mature yet childlike. So we're looking at children, their different attributes as learners. So far we've covered trust like a child and receive like a child. In the next few weeks we're going to get to discover like a child and play like a child. And today we're looking at imagine like a child. Diving straight into imagination and creativity. Children have an incredible capacity for imagination and creativity, for innovation and originality, don't they? Kids play make-believe. They get lost in innocent fantasy. To them, a box is a spaceship. And broccoli are little trees, and they're giants eating those trees or not eating those trees. 
The ground is lava, and their toys can come alive for tea parties and battle scenes, action, victory, and drama. They create imaginary friends. They draw outside the lines. They aren't afraid of making mistakes. They just try stuff. They have incredible capacities for imagination and creativity. Some of you might not know this about me. Um, I am an artist. I'm a painter. I'll show some images of my work. But I studied art at CSU, spent some time studying in Italy, and I still pursue art in addition to my role here at Timberline. A little bit about my creative journey. Um, it really all started for me when I was a kid. I grew up the eldest daughter to two highly creative parents. I remember watching my dad, who was and is a visual artist, paint portraits of Elvis in our basement. And I'd watch my mom looking at color and texture and print and fashion. She was constantly arranging and rearranging our home, really caring about space and aesthetic. I was raised by very creative parents. And they always told me I could be anything I wanted. They supported and believed in me almost too much. I'm a stereotypical millennial on that front. But I was put in a um, technical ability drawing class at the age of seven and always just felt confident when it came to drawing, coloring, art. I was regularly put in front of blank canvases, regularly told to go for it growing up, and I did. My mom let me paint a mural in my room. <laughs> it was an island scene, monkeys, palm trees, ocean, something. It's not very good. My mom loved it, though. My mom raved about it. She still has some of old art, bad art, in her home framed. Evidence of this, I would like to show you Rudolph and the baby Rudolph. <laughs> I made this when I was four or five. Uh, my signature was about the same size as the reindeer on that one. And my mother has had this framed in her home for over 25 years. My mother. But affirmation is powerful, isn't it? All of that played critical roles in my development as an artist. I just felt confident, confident enough to keep trying. Where do you find yourself with that today? Do you consider yourself imaginative? Do you consider yourself creative? If you have a bulletin and you're following along with the outline on the back, you might have noticed something strange at the bottom. In the spirit of imagination and creativity, I've given you a prompt. It's a box. And I'm inviting you, as I speak, or later, to draw something with that box. People have had a lot of fun with this so far this weekend. Maybe you see this and you see SpongeBob, like our print manager, Joe. <laughs> Cute. Maybe you see a box like a creature with wings coming out the side or legs like a spider or you want to make something geometric and abstract or trendy. It could be anything. It's just a box. It could be a million different things, but I invite you to doodle and think outside the box as I share about thinking outside the box. If this totally stresses you out, I just, you're free to forego this activity, okay? You can release your breath. <laughs> but what do you think of when I say imagination and creativity? They're related, they're tied to one another. Often people think to be creative requires you to be in a creative profession, to be a professional artist, painter, musician, writer, chef, 
master creatives. People are very quick to count themselves out of their creative ability, of being creative. They denounce their ability. I worked at a sip and paint place uh, for a few years out of college. You guys know about those? I am like the Bob Ross, the happy little tree. And I helped guide people step by step to completing a painting. It was a really fun job. But I was amazed and pretty saddened, to be honest, by the amount of people who would make strong declarations of their inability. Like, I couldn't draw a stick figure. <laughs> I'm terrible. I don't have a creative bone in my body. If I had a nickel for every time people would say that, all before we'd even started. People are very quick to count themselves out of creativity. Our narratives around imagination are interesting, too. Imagination can be used as a negative. To be told you have an active imagination isn't necessarily a compliment, right? We undervalue imagination. It's not something that's talked about or cultivated. It's neglected for many of us. But point one in your outline today, imagination and creativity are a part of human identity, a matter of human identity. Imagination is simply seeing in images. It's the God-given gift and talent of the human mind to see in images. You don't try to do this, you just do. We use our imaginations all the time. Think about it. The ability to have memories, to remember, is our imagination. If I ask you to describe to me your favorite game growing up, or the street that you grew up on, or your first grade teacher, you'll see images. The ability to think of the future, like what are you doing tomorrow? You'll think of your to-do list, you'll imagine yourself doing those things. Or are you planning a trip sometime soon? You'll think about the beach or a tent or your extended family. The ability to read, to read news headlines, a novel, even the menu at a restaurant, we see images of those places and those things. All of that is our imagination. It's a gift to have an imagination. It's a matter of human identity. You just have one because you're human. Now let's talk about creativity. Creativity is the action of the imagination. It's the process of having original ideas. Imagination has to do with what and how we see. It's our vision. And creativity is what we do with that vision. What we do with what we see. How we use it productively. You can imagine something that doesn't exist, like green eggs and ham. And then you can create it. You write it into a story, illustrate it like Dr. Seuss. Creativity is the action, the doing, the making, the process behind your imagination. You didn't just think of it, you created it. Point two in your outline, we are creators made in the image of the great creator. God is a creator. We are made in the image of God that makes us creators. We just are. You are made in the image of a creator, therefore you are a creator. You just are, because you're human. In Genesis 1, right out of the gate, when God is speaking this world to life, he creates everything and calls it good. I imagine him laughing, like loving getting to make this world. Sunsets and rivers and mountains and fish and birds and mammals full of life and color and detail and movement. He's a creative God. And then he creates us. He calls us very good. We're his favorite. 
Genesis 1:27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. We're made in the image of God. I love the way this is described in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's an illustrated Bible story for children. It's just the sweetest thing. I love mine. I recommend it for adults and children alike. But this is how this is described in the Jesus Storybook Bible. I'll put up the images so you guys can kind of see the, the drawings, and I'll read to you. God, said all that he, God saw all that he had made, and he loved them. And they were lovely because he loved them. But God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children, and the world would be their perfect home. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. God loved them with all of his heart. They were lovely because he loved them. Cute. You look like me. We are, in fact, creators made in the image of the great creator, and that is no small thing. He made us like him and immediately invited us to participate with him. He said, be fruitful and multiply, which, yes, have loads of babies. Yeah. But fruitful. What else is fruitful? To be a creator is to be fruitful. So if you're the type who declares the lack of creativity within you, don't forget, you have the ability to be fruitful, to have vision, and to do something with the vision that you have. And that ability is directly tied to the image of God within you. Your creator made in the image of the creator. You've got this. So back to children. I was asking my friend recently about his kids, about their creativity and how they differ from adults, and he simply said they see things differently. And I loved that. So point three, children see things differently. The way children see and experience the world is different from adults. There's something magical about the way kids see. The level of zeal and amazement that they have for even ordinary things is touching. Adults, we can just get used to what we see. We understand how things work. We just move on and along to other things. Kind of been there, done that. With a kid, it's different. Author Anne Lamott, in speaking about the writing process in her book, Bird by Bird, encourages us to take in all you can as a child would without the atmospheric smog of most grown-up vision. Grown-ups can get smog in our vision. Children take it all in. They let themselves fully experience the world. They're not held back by their rational minds. At their most innocent, they don't fear what people think of them. They don't fear looking foolish. They aren't afraid of making mistakes. They'll just try stuff. In one of the most famous TED Talks of all time, a fabulous TED Talk about the education system and creativity, Sir Ken Robinson shares this story. A little girl, she was six, and she was in a drawing lesson, and she was in the back drawing, and the teacher went to her and asked the girl, what are you drawing? And she said, God. And the teacher said, but nobody knows what God looks like. And the girl responded, they will in a minute. His point being, kids will take a chance. 
If they don't know, they'll still try. They aren't frightened of being wrong. Where we understand kids are curious, they have a wonder, an awe, and a magic that sometimes get lost on us grown-ups. Children see things differently. In many places in the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, there are scriptures that speak about those who had eyes but could not see, and who had ears but could not hear. It's an interesting metaphor. Usually it's referenced with hard-heartedness or closed-mindedness, people who are just missing it, totally missing what God was doing in their midst. But it's described as eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear. Point four, do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? Let's talk about the Bible for a moment. The Bible is literary genius. Epic narratives, sophisticated poetry, the authors are masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leverage this to explore questions of life and death and the human struggle. The Bible is made up of several different types of writing, different kinds of books. It's really helpful to understand what kind of book you're reading. But 33% of the Bible is poetry. 24% is prose discourse. 43% is narrative. Nearly half the Bible is written in narrative. Think about that. Story, character, setting, plot. Stories are the most universal form of human communication. Our brains are hardwired for story, to take in information in the form of story. We imagine ourselves in that story, what it would have looked like, felt like, what we would have done. Stories train us to make sense of things, to find meaning and purpose, and good stories help us explore life's big questions. Jesus, when he would teach, often spoke in the form of stories called parables. Uh, there were short stories that had a much bigger meaning. He would take something relatable and commonplace, and as a master storyteller, would weave it together to teach and challenge and convict the people listening to him. The stories he told could go right past the rational minds of his listeners, straight into their bellies, into their hearts, their imaginations. Now, his disciples were classic misunderstanders of what he was doing. Bless them. They'd come to Jesus hoping to get, like, clarity, like, Jesus, what does this mean? Like, spell it out for us. Speak plain. Help us understand here. <laughs> and he would say things like, a man in a field, or mustard seeds, or a sheep gets lost if you, you know, ask for bread and you get a snake, or think about a, a lamp under a bowl, or a man with two sons, like salt losing its saltiness. I imagine them like frustrated, just blinking slowly like, what? Wait, no. Speak plain. Shoot us straight. In Matthew 13, Jesus shares about the purpose of his parables, those stories, because there were many people at that time rejecting Jesus and rejecting his teaching. So Matthew 13, verse 13, that is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me bless them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see and your ears, because they hear. 
Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I pray that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear. Imaginations that can comprehend what God is saying, what God is wanting to do in you and through you and in us, that we wouldn't miss it. Point five in your outline today, there is a battle. There is a battle. Our imagination, um, our ability to be creative are incredible gifts. They have incredible power to be used for good or for evil. All the good gifts that we've been given can be twisted. What was intended for good can be used as a weapon against us, to hurt us, and I mean that literally and spiritually. We have an enemy, an oppressor, a deceiver, who wants to lead you astray. Satan's mission statement is clear. John 10, 10, he's described as a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission. Um, He's good at his job. Often his actions are sneaky, manipulative, less obvious. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. The ground of our imagination is the birthplace of empathy, hope, faith, beauty, and love. It's also the birthplace of worst-case scenario thinking, jealousy, lust, envy, fear. It all begins in our mind, in the imagination. And Jesus makes dramatic statements about the power of your mind. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, if your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. There'd be a lot of us with missing appendages if we took that one literally. But he warns about committing murder and adultery in our hearts, in our imaginations. His statements are dramatic, the strength of his words intentional, that we are to take seriously matters of sin in our hearts and our minds. Our internal world really matters. We have to know that there's a battle, that there's a battle happening for your soul, and you get to choose to fight that, to be prepared for that, aware of that, to care about your mental health. Let me put it like this. Will you allow your imagination to own you? Or will you own your imagination? What could that look like? Well, I have two challenges for you. The first is that I, I challenge you to pay attention to what you're feeding yourself, what you're feeding your mind. What do I mean by that? If you spend all day watching crime dramas, which I love a good crime drama. If you spend all day watching crime dramas, you will imagine more crime drama. I remember watching uh, the movie World War Z. (laughs) It's a zombie movie. They're very fast zombies. It's pretty scary. Normally, I don't like scary movies, but we watched World War Z at night, and then I went to take out the trash down the stairs across the street to the dumpster. And I'm not joking when I say I was looking over my shoulder for zombies. I could imagine it. I think about social media with this, which again, I love. But if you spend hours scrolling on social media, looking at people and their highlight reels, their vacations, their stuff that you don't have, you will imagine their lives. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself dissatisfied with yours. You know, people give the advice, um, follow your heart, or you do you, or do what you want. The heart wants what it wants. 
The heart doesn't want what it wants. It wants what it's fed. The heart doesn't want what it wants. It wants what it's fed. So what are you feeding it? Knowing your imagination is a battlefield, that it can be used against you for evil, allows you to then discipline it. 2 Corinthians talks about this, saying we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Pay attention to your imagination. Capture what is consuming you and place it before God. Do your best to own your imagination and not let your imagination own you. Even as I say that, I know that there are many in this room who are struggling with mental illness, who are trying so hard to do that, to take those thoughts captive, who don't feel super successful with that today. If that's you, I see you, I respect you, and I honor you. And I'm not saying that this is easy. I'm not saying that you can just pray this away. Sometimes you need more support. You need people in this with you. You need the help of a professional. You need the help of medication. Thank God we have access to that. So hear me when I say, um, I know that this isn't easy. And as a church, we care. We want to support you and encourage you to get the help that you need to address your mental health. Our internal world really matters. Okay? You guys with me on that? Okay, the second challenge. I challenge you to read the Bible like a child. I think one way you can redeem your imagination is through the word of God. To saturate yourself, saturate your imagination with scripture. To let your imagination loose reading the Bible. Put yourself in the stories. You are David walking down that valley to fight Goliath. You are Peter stepping out of that boat into the water. You are Mary, the virgin, who's also pregnant with the savior of the world. What does that feel like? What comes up in you? How do you react? How do you respond? What might God teach you? I challenge you to read the Bible like a child, imaginatively. And if you do, it will change you. It will. Our creative God wants to meet you, to connect with you in new ways through your imagination. So open yourself up to that. Dive in like a child. And the last point today is what are you dreaming that's bigger than you? What are you dreaming that's bigger than you? If you knew that you could not fail, what would you try? If you had a magic lamp and Will Smith came out of it, the genie, and you could restore something, restore something broken in your work, in your neighborhood, in your family, what would you try to fix or heal? What would swinging for the fences look like for you right now? What ideas do you have that are risky? What are the dreams that God is putting in you? In Genesis, when Adam is created out of dust and Eve out of his side, they're given roles to play. God allowed them to participate with him. If you look at God's movement throughout history, he always partners with someone, which is fascinating because he doesn't have to. He's all powerful. He could do whatever he wants. He chooses to partner. He uses people. He uses angels. He uses covenant. Even when mankind is a hot mess, in all of our imperfection, he includes us. 
he empowers us and he still says, partner with me. He invites us to participate in his kingdom with our creativity and our imagination. I think about some of the stories around this place, some of God's movement through people. It's moving. We could pass a mic around. We'd be here all day. There's tons of stories, but I was thinking about Genesis Project. Who could imagine a strip club becoming a church? Several years ago, a guy named Aaron, the owner of the Hunt Club here in Fort Collins, came to Derry, our senior pastor, with the hope of using the club for something different. And Derry simply asked, how would you feel about this becoming a church? So we, Timberline, we bought that property. We bought the club. And then we gave it away. It's Genesis Project now, a church. And we love and support them, and God is blessing that place. But Derry imagined a strip club becoming a church. I think about a woman named Gladys Hinson, the dreamer and founder behind what is now Hillcrest Children's Home in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We've partnered with them. Um, We send missions teams there every summer. I had the privilege of being on one of those teams. But Hillcrest is this huge campus with these gorgeous cottages, homes for kids in the foster system. They have a transition home for kids who are aging out of the foster system where they learn how to budget and how to be in a job interview. They have a maternity home for teen moms, many of whom are foster kids themselves. It is unbelievable the work that God is doing there. One of the houses on that property is a small little brick house that was the home of Gladys Hinson. Gladys decided to start the children's home. She just took in a couple boys. And times came where she didn't have the money to care for them. They were struggling financially. And so she got in her living room, around her coffee table, and prayed over a dime. All of that is there because one woman imagined a fraction of what it could become praying over a dime and asking God to multiply it. What could you pray over like that? What potential do you see around you? What are you imagining? How could you participate in the kingdom with your creativity? I encourage you to define those dreams, to write them down, define them with God, Um, Share them with a friend or family member, even if they feel wild and impossible and way too big. With God, there is no ceiling. The sky is the limit for our kingdom dreams. What God is capable of is far more than what we could ever do or we could ever imagine. And if we let children be our teachers with this, children don't get lost in logistics. They don't get lost in the hows of their dreams. When you're a child, you believe anything's possible, right? Children just try stuff. Can you imagine what would happen if we opened ourselves up to all imagine like that? To imagine like a child. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for making us in your image in your imagination, and your creativity, that you gave us those gifts. And you say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that that is just true. God, I pray that we would become like children, 
simple and free, open to imagine, willing to dive in and try new things. Give us courage. I pray that you'd quiet the critics of our minds and the oppressor who himself cannot create, can only destroy. We're gonna have a moment to respond. So if you're here and maybe you feel a sense that God's asking you to step into something new, to get into the water on some things, maybe some new territory, but you feel a wave of fear. Specifically, you feel incapable, unqualified, very much afraid to fail. We wanna pray over that. So if that's you, you can just slip up a hand right now where you are. You're placing yourself before God. Father, we pray for each of these people. We ask for boldness and courage to overcome fear. In the name of Jesus, we ask for freedom, for freedom to run and dream and try and fail. And we declare that you are a God who is with us, who's with each of them, who equips us for the things that you're inviting us to do. Would you speak life and would you encourage their steps in ways that only you can, God? Thank you, God. And right now for all of us, if you feel comfortable, I encourage you to open your hands right where you're sitting. Not because there's anything special about this, but because sometimes changing our posture is helpful for our hearts and our minds. So with open hands, Father, we pray over our imaginations. We ask in the name of Jesus that they be redeemed. We open ourselves to experience you, our creative God, in a new way. We open ourselves to receive your kingdom dreams. Give us new dreams. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear them imaginatively. God, would you make us a church of dreamers, a church who swings for the fences, who think outside the box for your glory. Thank you, God. We love you. Amen.